Before we start, a quick warning. This episode contains content that might be distressing to some listeners. Press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists at The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Yoni Bashan. It's Thursday, October 6. Managers at Queensland's state-run DNA lab moved to silence and sabotage the career of the scientist who blew the whistle on its failures. Whistleblower Dr Kirsty Wright first raised concerns about the facility in the Australian's Shandy Story podcast and predicted potentially thousands of cases could be affected by flawed DNA testing processes. 30 hours. That's how long newly appointed Essendon CEO Andrew Thorburn lasted at the club before sensationally handing in his resignation. Thorburn's ties to a conservative Christian church are at the heart of the whirlwind turnaround. My role as a CEO is to ensure that the organisations I lead, which I think my record stands for this, is inclusive. So where did it all go so wrong for Andrew Thorburn? We'll have more on that later in the episode. And Brittany Higgins has returned to the witness box on the second day of the trial of her accused rapist, Bruce Lerman. Higgins admitted her memory of the night she was allegedly raped is patchy, although she could recall vivid details of the alleged incident. That's first up. The trial of Brittany Higgins' accused rapist has entered its second day with some harrowing new evidence of what transpired on the night of the alleged incident. Brittany Higgins has described feeling stressed, trapped and not human following her alleged rape within the walls of Parliament House by her then colleague Bruce Lerriman in 2019. Kristen Shorten is an investigative journalist with The Australian and she joins me now. We got our first comprehensive look at the timeline of the night Brittany Higgins was allegedly raped by Bruce Lerman. Can you take us through what the court heard and any fresh details that came to light? That's right, Yoni. This afternoon in the ACT Supreme Court, Crown Prosecutor Shane Drumgold played quite a lot of CCTV footage to the jury and to the courtroom, which was captured at the Dock Hotel in Canberra on the night of March 22, 2019, to meet with a group of colleagues. So the point of playing that CCTV footage to the court was to show all of the drinks that Ms Higgins consumed throughout the night. Ms Higgins has told police repeatedly that she doesn't remember how many drinks she had on the night in question, only that she was very intoxicated. And what that CCTV footage revealed to the jury and the court was that in the four hours that Miss Higgins was at the Dock Hotel, she had consumed 11 drinks. So the Crown Prosecutor stopped and started the CCTV footage, pointing out to the jury each time Miss Higgins either went to the bar or someone brought her a drink and gave it to her. And we were able to watch that social gathering, the interactions and all of the drinks consumed throughout that period. And Kristen, did the court hear any further details about the alleged incident itself? It did, Yoni. She said she remembers sitting there by herself for a little while, but then the next thing she knew, she was on the couch and Mr Lamman was having intercourse with her. She said he had pinned her into the corner of the couch and she remembered him being sweaty. She said when she woke up, she had the sense that it had been going on for a while and she gave a really vivid description of what she experienced. She said that Mr Lamman was crouched over her and that she alleged he had propped her up enough to be having sex with her. She said at that point her dress was scrunched up around her waist and 
he was still wearing his shirt and possibly his blazer at the time of the alleged assault. She said that she had told him no multiple times, but the way that she described what unfolded after that was she wasn't screaming at him, but she was saying no and she was crying. And she said he wasn't even looking at me. He was just looking over me. She said she just felt trapped and not human. She said it didn't feel like it was about me at all. One of the other interesting facts to emerge today was that Ms Higgins didn't visit a GP after the alleged rape, but some weeks later when she was over in Perth working on the campaign with Ms Reynolds, she had done a pregnancy test, which she had bought from a convenience store because she her period was late and she felt quite stressed and she felt unwell. She said it wasn't until some time later after the election that she had actually gone to a GP, discussed the incident and sought help for her mental health. Now, Miss Higgins also detailed her history with Bruce Lerman prior to the alleged rape. Did we learn anything new about the dynamic of their professional or personal relationship? Yeah, we did learn a lot today actually about the relationship between Ms Higgins and Mr Lamb and how she had come to meet him and end up working in Linda Reynolds' office alongside him. What we learned was that she had only known him for a few weeks prior to this alleged assault. One of the Wednesdays following that first meeting, so between March 2 and the alleged rape on March 23, she recalled it was a sitting week. The team from Ms Reynolds' office had gone out for drinks and Mr Lamon had tried to kiss her. She said she had rebuffed him. She wasn't interested. She said he didn't seem too hurt or rejected or angry. He just brushed it off and they never spoke about it again. And then here we have three weeks later this alleged rape taking place. She did also reveal what the dynamic was like in Linda Reynolds' office. She described it as haphazard and informal. She said most of the staff there were aged under 28. They had very little supervision or senior management working in the office. She said the chief of staff actually lived at the Northern Rivers and only came to the Canberra office during sitting weeks. She said that she was definitely the most junior in the office. She was at the bottom of the food chain. She described herself as a lackey and said that she did most of the grunt work. She said Mr Lamman was very senior to her in terms of experience and very close to Linda Reynolds. Kristen Shorten is an investigative journalist with The Australian. Coming up, where did it all go so wrong for Andrew Thorburn? I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. He was the Bombers' chief just 30 hours. The Essendon Football Club is in turmoil again tonight with its new CEO forced out in the face of a homophobic and anti-abortion storm. Andrew Thorburn was under siege within hours of his appointment. He's chair of a church called City on a Hill that compares concentration camps to abortion. 
Essendon Bombers boss Andrew Thorburn quit after just 30 hours in the role this week, saying his conservative Christian faith isn't tolerated at the club. The former National Australia Bank CEO is chairman of the City on a Hill Church, which once preached conservative views on homosexuality and abortion. Eric Johnston is an associate editor with The Australian and he joins me now. Eric, Andrew Thorburn didn't last very long at Essendon, the club of his boyhood fantasies. Can you introduce us to him and talk about how he came to be appointed as the CEO in the first place? It's a really interesting journey that he got there. So Andrew Thorburn is a former big bank boss with National Australia Bank. So he's had a role in one of the most powerful positions in Australian business. He was promoted as as CEO in 2014. However, he was one of the bank bosses that came undone as a result of the Hain Financial Services Royal Commission. There, the finding was that the culture at NAB wasn't conducive to change and Thorburn wasn't the person to do that. So he was essentially um, forced out and had to fall on his sword following the Hain decision. So he's been very quiet for the last two years. He's had a small role in impacting investing fund and he's also quietly taken on the chairman role of a church group in Melbourne, the Church on the Hill. So from there, he's now found himself in the middle of this AFL maelstrom, if you like. He was involved in Essendon and then he put himself forward to become CEO of Essendon. Now, of course, Essendon is one of the foundation clubs, but it also has many years of underperformance and also board turmoil. So this has been going on. And it's just staggering that a bank CEO, a former bank CEO, even one that was uh, uh, forced to fall on their sword, um, would end up in a role as CEO of Essendon. So what do we think about that? He was at Essendon. He was on a panel that was charged with reviewing the club's culture and essentially to find a CEO. So he's on that panel and then he nominates himself as a candidate. Do you think there's anything unusual about that process in itself, that the person he headhunted to fill the role was Andrew Thorburn? It's got a sort of unique place in history, this sort of trend. Famously in Australia, the other one was David Murray, the former Commonwealth Bank boss. He was appointed on a panel to try and find who the best person to run the future fund was. Ultimately, David Murray nominated himself as the best person to do this. You shouldn't be on the panel in the first place if you've got an interest in it or an inkling in the role. You have an inside view of the advantages of the other candidate's strengths and weaknesses, and of course, you can get an edge around that. So that in itself is not a good look, and it sort of goes to show the governance processes of Essendon probably need a lot more work as well. Given his corporate experience, do you think that Andrew Thorburn's appointment might have been a good landing spot for him in the aftermath of his time at NAB? Or do you think, with the benefit of hindsight, this was all just a terrible mistake and the club should have seen this coming from a mile away? Look, it's bad for both sides. It's bad for the club and also bad for Thorburn. From his point of view, as a former bank CEO, he doesn't need the money. He was paid $30 million in the last seven years as a senior NAB executive collectively. He's got another $10 million worth of shares in NAB. He doesn't need the money. To take on a full-time CEO role, it's a big step down. He was running a bank that is, is one of the top 30 banks in the world in terms of size. He was overseeing tens of thousands of people with international operations. It just beggars belief why he actually felt he needed to 
resurrect his career through this avenue as being a CEO of a football club. The CEO of, of most clubs, they don't hold the real power of the place as well. That's all centred in the board. We always hear about the board and the chairman or the president of these football clubs. It's not the CEO. So he would have had little influence over the most important factor, which is the on-field performance of the club. So that comes down to the coach, obviously, and who hires and fires the coach? Well, it's the board. So it just beggars belief why Thorburn chose this type of role to resurrect his executive career. For the club itself, the power imbalance would have just been staggering. So you have a relatively inexperienced board. Uh, There has been a lot of turmoil and turnover in Essendon. Just wouldn't have been good for Essendon. At some stage, it will settle down, but it it feels to me and it looks to me like the board is at war with each other. At some point, this is going to be an issue. He might have to go eventually. But what is really important is for Essendon just to get a clean run and some clean air, particularly at the top, so it can start rebuilding its performance. And it looks like the majority of this controversy around Thorburn really stems from his association with the City on the Hill Church, of which he's been chair for the last two years. But really, this has blown up because of comments that were made prior to his appointment as chair by a pastor at the church who made some very inflammatory remarks around abortion and homosexuality. Given all that, given the fact that he's come in after the fact, after those comments were made, and this is now this maelstrom is occurring only now. Do you think he's being treated slightly unfairly by being pinned to those comments that he's already rejected? President is determined to keep its structures around inclusiveness. We deeply committed to our values and support wholeheartedly the work of the AFL in continuing to stamp out any discrimination based on race, sex, religion, gender, sexual identity or orientation. This is not about vilifying anyone for their personal religious beliefs, but about a clear conflict of interest with an organisation whose views do not align with our values. And there was a conflict with the views of his own church and Thorburn felt that they could both exist together. Again, it goes to a misjudgment that, that those two views could reconcile between the values of the church and also the values of the football club, which is obviously looking at a much wider audience. So he was given a choice. He decided to remain with the church, but still it's left a bad taste for everybody involved. Eric Johnston is an associate editor with The Australian. And you can follow our rolling coverage of the trial of Bruce Lerman, as well as all the nation's best news, sport and politics at theaustralian.com.au. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.